When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech fan and a, a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. Holy cow, Mike. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question. This weekend went pretty much exactly how you thought it was, right? Uh, Maybe. Maybe is a strong word. Maybe. Uh, well, I mean... <laughs> I, you know, I, I'd say there were more ACC games that went according to plan than across the rest of college football. Yeah, like, it got pretty weird. Uh, yeah, it did. Uh, betting was not kind to me this weekend, so we'll try <laughs> to do a little bit better the next time, as they say. Um, yeah, so uh, kind of a wild weekend overall across college football. Uh, ACC, things got a little bit weird. You know, Florida State, NC State, uh, Virginia, Boise State games of that nature wake forest nearly losing like two or three different times but finding a way against app state we'll get into all these games joey but yeah a little bit of a weird weekend here week four in college football i'd say yeah got some kind of uh unexpected results here in a couple different ways you mentioned virginia at boise state on friday night let's just start there that's where the uh, the earliest in the timeline goes virginia 42 boise state 23 this is Boise State's worst home loss, we said, since 2001. Hello. Oh, my goodness. I would not have expected this to come at all. I mean, Virginia was like a 12-and-a-half-point underdog, and we had Boise State to cover. Um, by the way, that was Chris Peterson's first year as offensive coordinator at Boise State, um, several years before he took over as head coach. So it's been a minute since Boise State has uh, suffered this kind of a loss on the blue turf, but Mike, I really I have one big question about this game. Uh, who was that, and what did he do with Kurt Benkert? Because holy cow, the guy in the uh, the white jersey out there looks really great throwing the football. Yeah, and he has now for almost an entire month, which is an improvement from last year when he you know really couldn't do anything right and lost his job to Matt Johns. Uh, you know, Ben Kurt throws for 273 and three touchdowns against Boise. Looked extremely poised. I, I think an improved running game really helped. Jordan Ellis had 93 yards rushing and two touchdowns. I thought that was huge. You know, Virginia went and tried to establish the running game early, and I thought that was extremely important because as soon as they established a run game, it opened up the pass for Ben Kurt, who spread the ball around quite a bit, um, was able to find a number of different receivers um in in this football game but you know I think the poise that the defense played with especially was you know a pretty big surprise we knew they had playmakers on that side of the football Micah Kaiser and Quinn Blanding are the only two that ever get talked about but the front seven for Virginia this year has been very good so far and that's been huge for them and and their ability to get off to the start that they have I mean they're three and one already and we were thinking at the start of the season they'd be lucky to be two and two in this stretch And when you think about it, I mean, they weren't all that far off from beating a team like Indiana a couple weeks ago. I mean, they got in that game with Indiana and, you know, a couple things, you know, didn't go Virginia's way there in the first half that 
you know, if it did or, or if those plays kind of went their way, maybe we're talking about Virginia being a 4-0 football team. I know that sounds crazy because Indiana ended up running away with that football game, but, uh, you know, Virginia was right in that game, was extremely competitive with Indiana for a majority of the first half, and you'll remember, Joey, that was a week after Indiana played Ohio State. We didn't really know what to make of Ohio State yet, but Ohio State was a top-five team at that point, top-three team at that point, and we're thinking, oh, man, Indiana's got a really good squad. And, you know, they went and hung with the Buckeyes for most of the game. And then all of a sudden Virginia was hanging with Indiana. We were like, oh, man, what's going on? And then, you know, Indiana ends up, you know, pulling away in the second half. But Virginia did a lot of good things in that game that made you think positively about maybe, you know, the progress that Bronco Mendenhall's making in year two. So to get a statement win, to go on the road on a Friday night, out to Boise on the blue turf, raucous crowd, pretty solid football program there at Boise albeit a little bit down this year for Virginia to go in there and get a win and get a convincing win I think does a lot for her confidence to those players and especially that coaching staff that things are starting to head in the right direction for them I think the thing that was most impressive to me Mike is probably how stifling Virginia's defense was uh, they gave up a seven play 80 yard touchdown drive right out the gate to begin the game and after that, Boise State really struggled to sustain drives. I mean, even if they were able to get a first down, it's like they weren't able to get a second one, you know, kind of thing. Um, Virginia's defense really came to play in this game. That is a tough environment to play in, too. Um, I, maybe we make a big deal out of the blue turf thing and all that, but Boise just has a, a unique home field advantage, and a lot of teams struggle to play there. And Virginia just was not phased by it. They came in, and they just uh, – this was a rout. I mean, they, they blew the doors off of Boise – uh, the Broncos were really kind of, uh, of holding on to, to keep the game close there for a while before Virginia was just able to pull away uh, really late in the third quarter. So strong performance from Virginia. I, I don't know what this is going to translate to in terms of conference play. Um, at the end of the day, yeah, tough, tough environment and all this, but you're also talking about a Mountain West team. So for better or worse, I mean, whether that'll translate to conference play, we'll have to see. But for now... Don't look now, Mike, but Virginia's 3-1, and one, uh, and then they are hosting Duke this weekend, which that's, that's going to be an interesting matchup to talk about here when we come back and uh, preview those games here in a few days. Yeah, Virginia's got Duke. they got North Carolina, BC, and Pitt, and you know that's a tough stretch there, but if you win three of those four games, you're bowl eligible if you're Virginia. Now, that might be a little bit lofty. We don't want to overreact to just one win, but... You know, I think it's a little bit of a surprise that Virginia's even in this spot in this conversation to have three wins in their first four games and to even talk about them, you know, just winning a couple of ACC games and really being on the cusp of bowl eligibility, I think is a pretty big surprise here. Uh, only a month into the season, maybe one of the biggest surprises in the conference so far. By the way, Mike, can we mark this down as like a red letter day? Um, we have officially started a podcast, both preview and recap, talking about a big win by Virginia. Uh, yeah it's a big day I, are we ready for yeah see are we ready to live in a world where Virginia's competitive <laughs> we were kind of throwing that around before the podcast started here and we hit the record button tonight are we ready to live in that world Joey Mike 2017 is a pretty weird time uh we don't yeah. have to go any further into it than that you but to, you're gonna have to tell your kids about this yeah. <laughs> uh Mike moving on um to the probably the game that caught the most attention nationally in the ACC this weekend the NC State Wolfpack 27 the number 12 Florida State Seminoles 21 uh, this is a huge win for Dave Doran's program um, overall the Wolfpack played very well in this game uh, big games from Ryan Finley Naeem Hines and uh, Jalen Samuels all those guys did well 
Really, though, what I think made the difference here, Mike, was NC State's defense came to play. Um, they made things extremely difficult for Florida State's offense. They were constantly getting after James Blackman, uh, not giving him a whole lot of room to run. Ultimately, I think that their strategy as I watched this game was kind of pin their ears back, go after the quarterback, make sure that the offensive line could block them and make the quarterback beat them. Uh, and ultimately, the strategy worked. Uh, Florida State really struggled to finish drives here. Uh, they kicked a whole lot of field goals instead of scoring touchdowns. Uh, James Blackman never really did look all that comfortable getting set up in the pocket. He got moved, you know, had to throw on the run quite a bit. Um, overall, now I, I will say though, as I watched this and I looked back at the numbers from S and P Plus, and they kind of agree, Florida State on any given play of this game, probably outplayed NC state. Um, they were stifling NC state's offense on a lot of plays, but NC state did a remarkable job of taking advantage of opportunities when they were presented. And that's why they win this game. Whereas Florida state did not take those opportunities and, and had some bad bounces along the way. So strong win here for NC state, Mike. Yeah, this is the win that NC state needed. A lot of people questioning, what kind of football team is this? Well, it's a football team that just beat Florida State. That's good enough for me. And now, you know, Florida State's not the same team that we expected it to be at this stage because, you know, A, they lost DeAndre Francois. B, they haven't played in a month. So, you know, you don't really know what to really expect out of Florida State heading into this football game. And that's a home game that you have there in Tallahassee against a really good football team in NC State that hasn't lived up to their potential so far. So for NC State to come in and get that win was – Really encouraging for Dave Dorn and a victory that the Wolfpack needed to kind of springboard themselves, you know, into the bulk of their ACC schedule. And as for Florida State, I mean, you know, James Blackman in this game looked like a true freshman. Uh, his numbers weren't too bad, 22 of 38, 278, and a touchdown. He did lose a fumble, which proved to be costly, but, you know, he missed a lot of open guys. I think that was the one real takeaway, you know, from the game that I saw is just – he missed a lot of open guys, looked like a true freshman. Um, but, you know, the talent is there, and I think that's encouraging for a Florida State fan it, it, when you're living in a world that doesn't include DeAndre Francois. It's like, well, at least there's some potential here with Blackman, and, you know, that's why Jimbo Fisher's the coach there and the quarterback coach that he is. Um, you know, we've seen him do this before with young quarterbacks. He, he you know, kind of gets the most out of their skill set. And for Blackman to make his first start, throw for 278 against a really good NC State defense, I think that's encouraging, something to build off of. But, uh, you know, the real issue for Florida State in this game, especially with a true freshman making his first start at quarterback, is you've got to run the football better. Um, they had 26 carries for 104 yards. It's four yards a carry total as a team. But Cam Akers had only 12 carries for 56 yards. Now, that's not too bad, 4.7 yards per carry. But they just kind of quit on the running game, which I didn't really understand when you have a kid like James Blackman, a quarterback, making his first start against NC State. A really aggressive front seven with a decent enough secondary to get by. You know, for Blackman to throw the ball 38 times, I'm not really sure that's what you were going for. And you know, NC State having the lead for a good chunk of this football game will do that to you, especially from a play-calling perspective. But, you know, I think Florida State's going to want to run the football a little bit better moving forward. I think that'll really help them out. But, you know, until then, they're 0-2. They now play Wake Forest, who's 4-0 and next week, which I can't believe we're saying that. I'm not sure either of us would have predicted <laughs> that happening hanging into the season. But, nevertheless, Florida State 0-2. Um not the start they wanted, but a lot of football left to be played. And, you know, James Blackman did show some positive signs there 
at quarterback for the Seminoles, which is really all you can ask for. And it's, you know, in a tough situation. First of all, can I call my shot here on a potential pick of the week for next week? You can. As 0-2 Florida State goes on the road to play 4-0 Wake Forest. Do we have an early line on that, by the way? We do have an early line on that, Mike. And uh, would you like to know what it is? I would. Florida State, minus 7.5. Ooh, that seems like pick of the week territory. Uh, Give me the Seminoles all day long. Yep, Um, Yep. and twice on Sundays. Yeah, Uh, I'll say that watching this game, it was really strange when NC State had the ball because... Basically, every time they snapped it, one of two things was going to happen. was They were going to get stuffed or lose yards, or they were going to pick up yards in chunks. Um, it's like they were almost incapable of picking up two or three yards at a time. You know, it was, it was all – Florida State's defense was either smothering them or they caught the defense just way out of position kind of thing. Um, Florida State's defense looked a little lethargic at times. I wonder if that's, you know, a little bit of rust having not played for a few weeks. It was maybe a little warm in Tallahassee, you know, kind of thing. They were not getting a whole lot of support from the offense. But overall, all told, I, you know, big win for NC State. Clearly a situation where they were capable of pulling this off. But at the end of the day, I'm not that worried about Florida State. I think this is still like a 9-3 and three kind of team. Um, I think they lose to Clemson and then... I think they'll be able to handle basically everybody else. The Miami game here in a few weeks should be really interesting, and we'll, we'll talk about Miami's performance here in a few minutes. But, uh, Mike, anything else before we move on? No, I think we're good. You want to talk about your pick of the week that just uh, covered easily? We can. we can. That was an easy win <laughs> for your Yellow Jackets, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Georgia Tech 35, Pittsburgh 17. It wasn't even that close, Mike. Um Realistically, it was an 18-point game, and Georgia Tech was minus three in turnovers. I think if uh, if Georgia Tech takes care of the ball a little better, this is like a 30-point win easily. Um, the Yellow Jackets played particularly well on defense. Um, they did a really good job of tackling in space and, and getting pressure towards Ben DiNucci, uh and a little bit of Max Brown even in the fourth quarter. Um, overall, I mean, it, it looked good for Georgia Tech. They took care of business against what's starting to look like a pretty bad Pittsburgh team. Um, we've now seen three straight weeks, Mike, where Pitt has played a balanced offense, a pass-heavy offense, and a run-heavy offense, and they haven't really done a whole lot in the way of stopping any of them. So what's that tell us about Pitt's defense here? Probably pretty bad, Joey. Yeah, it's not no, good. I'm, yeah. Um, I'd love to talk to Jim Hammett about this. Maybe we can get him on in a week or two to – kind of sit down and talk with him about where the Panthers are at because in the preview you know prior to the season starting we talked to him about this team and kind of what the expectations were given the fact that they were losing a good amount of talent on offense and Pitt was a trendy team to pick in the coastal division for some reason and you and I were trying to figure that out we were having a hard time kind of deciphering why you know a lot of pundits and a lot of a lot of fans out there that you know follow the ACC really like Pittsburgh this year and a lot of people were high on Max Brown, who now can't beat out Ben DiNucci for a starting job, really. They're splitting snaps. Their run game has been kind of up and down, and the defense has been horrible. And Pitt's now in the spot where they're 1-3, and three, and you know I'm sitting here wondering where the wins kind of come for the Panthers at this point. Um, they, they do have a couple of easier games on their schedule, including this weekend when they host Rice, but... You know, they got to go on the road to Syracuse. They got NC State coming up, a Duke team that has looked pretty good so far. Virginia has looked better than expected. North Carolina can still score some points. 
Virginia Tech hosts Pittsburgh this year uh, in November, and then Pittsburgh has Miami coming to town. So where are the wins there? I, I just I have a hard time seeing Pittsburgh get to six wins out of the schedule that they have left, given the way that their you know upcoming opponents have performed to date this season. Um, and, and given how Pitts performed, there's just really not a whole lot of confidence here out of this football team. Uh, Cravante Benson, huge day for Georgia Tech on Saturday. I mean, Pittsburgh had a lot of trouble stopping him, 200 yards rushing nearly. I think he finished with like 196, 197, a couple scores. Uh, Taquan Marshall, two touchdowns on the ground. Really solid performance running the football for Georgia Tech, but this game told me more about Pittsburgh than it did about Georgia Tech. We know what kind of football team Georgia Tech is. Uh, I think it's just really, really surprising to me that Pittsburgh has really not been competitive at all in any of the games they've played this year. I mean, their one win is against Youngstown State in overtime in the opener. And, you know, Youngstown State, you know, God bless them for going to the for going to the FCS championship last year, but they are an FCS team. And, you know, Pitt could barely manage a win against them. So Pitt could just as easily be 0-4 now, and they're sitting here at 1-3, and I just really don't know where the wins come here moving forward. Mike, can you care to guess who was Pitt's leading rusher in this game? Uh, I don't have it in front of me anymore. Um, Low-key, by the way, this is not a game of name that quadri. Is it yeah, games? that uh, Danucci or... It was Jordan Whitehead. Jordan Whitehead, the return plays mostly safety. defense. Yes, yeah, on, the, on the opening defense. drive, he had a 30-yard end-around carry, finished with 35 rushing yards. That led Pitt in this game. Pitt could not run the ball at all. And really, you're, you're talking about the Ben DiNucci, Max Brown issue right now. That's, I, I've, I've updated my, uh, my biggest loss, you know, Pitt, biggest offseason loss for Pitt power rankings. I don't no know. No longer Matt Canada. Point. Yeah. At this point, I'm not so sure that Matt Canada was the biggest loss as much as Nate Peterman. Um, the quarterback play is a huge issue for this team in the same way that it is for LSU right now, where Matt Canada is. Uh, we'll get there in a little bit. But. Ultimately, what Georgia Tech did was sell out to stop the run and force Danucci and Brown to beat them over the top, and they couldn't do it. And I, I think that there's going to be a lot of teams this year that are going to be able to stuff Pitt in the run game, and they're not going to be able to beat anybody in the passing game, and that's going to cause a lot of big problems. Uh, Mike, name that quadri. Uh, had a punt return touchdown in this game. Uh, I'll go with Henderson. That was quadri Henderson. That is correct. Uh, America's favorite game. Um, yeah, so Pitt had a touchdown on the opening drive. They had a punt return touchdown, and they had a field goal coming off of a, one of those Georgia Tech fumbles. So realistically, and by the way, that was a, a Georgia Tech defensive drive where they gave up like 10 yards, basically, where they got a field goal. So Georgia Tech's defense only gave up about 10, seven points in this game. Um, they had, again, they had four turnovers, did Georgia Tech. Mike, what was your favorite first down that Pitt got after a Georgia Tech turnover? You know, I'm having a hard time finding one. <laughs> that, yeah, there were none. Um, Georgia Tech turned the ball over four times, resulted in zero first downs for Pittsburgh, much less points. So Pretty bad. Yeah, not great. Um, actually, it did get three points, but again, no, no first downs, really anything there. So, um, yeah, not great for Pittsburgh. Um, not looking good. Georgia Tech looked pretty good, took care of business here, and um, hopes to keep rolling next week against North Carolina, and then a bye week, and then at Miami. So going to learn some stuff uh, about the Yellow Jackets here in the next few weeks. Moving on, Mike. Uh, Duke 27, North Carolina 17. 
this was a close, hard-fought game. We talked in the preview that this was not going to be a game that uh, at least that Duke was going to run off with. Maybe North Carolina could. Uh, it ended up staying pretty close. Uh, North Carolina had a fourth, a th- yeah, fourth quarter lead uh, deep into the game. Duke comes back, takes a lead by a field goal, and then Chaz Surratt throws a pick six to end the game. Um, so Duke wins by 10. Overall, uh, a pretty decent showing by Duke. But top to bottom, I mean, did we did we really learn anything about either of these teams in this game? Yeah, I, I don't think we really did. Uh, North Carolina, I thought, could come out and make a statement if they you know, came out and won this game a little bit more decisively than people expected it to or just, you know, win the game at all. Um, you know, they, they entered as an underdog here. I believe it was two and a half, the final line. Uh, Duke's receiving a lot of hype, um, justifiably so, because Daniel Jones is their quarterback. Uh, Jones was okay. This is only the second straight week now where we've just had an okay Daniel Jones. Um, he threw for just over 200 yards and a touchdown, took care of the football. Uh, Duke ran the ball pretty well. They had 186 yards on the ground rushing, so that was that was a solid performance on their part. The defense stepped up when they had to against a freshman quarterback in Chasserot for uh, North Carolina that threw that horrible pick there in the fourth quarter when, you know, the Tar Heels had a lot of time left. It was like something like four and a half minutes to go and, um, you know, a couple timeouts and, you know, Duke just took the lead, but, you know, North Carolina had plenty of time. Plus, you're at home. Um, that was a super bad turnover. That was a fresh, big-time freshman mistake at the worst possible time for the Tar Heels. Um, but, no, I don't think we really learned much about Duke. I, I thought, you know, maybe if Duke came out and won this game decisively or if North Carolina just outright beat Duke, I think we'd learn a little bit about North Carolina and their resiliency, especially with a young football team. Uh, as far as Duke's concerned, um, I, you know, the defense played pretty well in this football game, so I think maybe I learned a little bit more about their defense personally. I, th- I thought their defense was a little bit overrated, and maybe that's still the case, but I thought the defense played a lot better than I expected them to in this football game and you know really sealed the victory up for them so that was important but you know Duke's 4-0 but they really haven't beat anybody I mean the best team they've played is Northwestern Northwestern is an average to below average Big Ten team this year this isn't last year where Northwestern had a pretty good team this is a team in Northwestern that's not nearly as good as they were a year ago Um, so I'm I'm hearing that a lot lately like Northwestern's this team in the Big Ten like a force to be reckoned with in the middle of the pack in the conference I don't know where that's coming from uh, maybe it's just a success of last year, but I'm not buying it. Um, you know, we'll learn a lot about Duke here this Friday. They got Miami coming up, and we'll learn a lot about Miami too in that game. But no, as far as this game's concerned between these two teams, I don't think we learned a whole lot. Um, North Carolina's struggling, and they're in a rebuild. And you know, Duke, I guess, did what they were supposed to do, but it wasn't easy. Yeah, I mean, these, this was a very evenly fought game. They, the two teams finish separated by 11 total yards. Uh, really, just top to bottom, I mean, it was an even game, and it was one mistake at the end by Chaz Surratt, you know, freshman quarterback, and that's kind of what decided it. Um, it's interesting how much these teams, you know, sh- probably should have been pretty comparable. I mean, if you look at S&P Plus, Duke is the f- number 46 in the country. North Carolina is number 48. Um, this is These are two pretty evenly matched teams. Um, like you, curious to see how they fare against better competition. Um, like you said, I mean, the best win between the two of them right now, again, if you look at S&P Plus, is that win over Northwestern. Um, you know, and, and what does that mean? I don't really know. They're, Northwestern's 40th in S&P Plus and falling. Both of these teams got to play three coastal teams that are ranked higher than that. So, 
Uh, time will tell. Certainly a good start, though, for Duke, starting 4-0. Um, they're most of the way to bowl eligibility already, and it's still September. Uh, Sledden gets a little tougher next week. They host Miami, and that's, that's going to be you know fine. Nothing weird happens when Miami goes to Duke, so uh, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. But uh, in any case, yeah, I mean, pretty good from both teams, I guess. Not really building any confidence if you're North Carolina, and I mean... I don't know. I guess this was fine, Mike. That's all I got. This is fine. So, quick question before we move on. Do you think it's a little concerning for Duke that this was supposed to be the year that they make the jump, right? They're supposed to, they, you know, they got a pretty young team, but they're supposed to kind of make that next step forward. Daniel Jones, another year of development. And they were really just hanging around with a rebuilding North Carolina. I mean, I think this has implications beyond just this year, just from a recruiting standpoint an in-state rivalry standpoint that you were only able to really just barely get by a North Carolina team that's kind of in shambles right now that lost a ton on offense and defense and you're you're trailing in the fourth quarter of this football game I uh, do you think this means anything am I reading too far into it I no I, I mean I think if you if you're expecting Duke to get back to what was it 2013 when they went to uh the ACC championship game yep and yeah, those were times. Um, if you're looking for him to get back to that, then yeah, this is disappointing. But I think if you're being realistic and saying that you know Duke as a as a program and a team, you know, should be peaking probably in the third to maybe second in the division, you know, kind of thing. Uh, they're doing all right. Um, they've got a couple of tests here coming up. Uh, their next three games: home against Miami, on the road at Virginia, home against Florida State. Um, if you go two and one in that stretch, that's that's a statement. Um, having to win one of either Miami or Florida State, I don't know. Um, I, there hasn't been anything that Duke has really done this year so far that's made us all just step back and say wow. But at the same time, I mean they're they're four and zero and they they haven't you know had a particularly close win yet. So I guess they're taking care of business in some sense. Is that fair? That's fair. I think. What's kind of scary is that Duke's probably the second or third best team in the Coastal right now. Probably the third behind Virginia Tech and Miami. However, Bro. You know, whatever order you want to put them in. But, like, Bro. Georgia – oh, Georgia Tech, too. Sorry. <laughs> I, I guess they're four, They're the fourth best team. Hey, don't sorry. let me pressure you into it. I know. No, you're right. That was just complete oversight. But, like, <laughs> this is a pretty weak Coastal, right? Like. Mm-hmm. This is like Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Miami, and then I think there's a pretty significant drop-off before you get to, like, Duke, like, I guess, North Carolina, Virginia? Like, how do you slice those teams? I mean, I think it's a pretty weak division overall. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see in the coming weeks. A lot of big games coming up for, you know, the three top teams in the division, in my opinion. I can't believe I just overlooked Georgia Tech (laughs) swinging a miss on my part. But, hey, um, that's what you're here for. (laughs) <laughs> picking up the uh the georgia tech hype train where it left off uh that's right by the way what for what it's worth nt uh, unc in this game loses austin prole uh he i think he's gone for the year if i'm not mistaken so that's that's a pretty big loss for a team that was already hurting for experience on offense um anyways duke 27 north carolina 17 let's move on mike to number two clemson 34 boston college seven uh, this was a blowout, a comfortable win for Clemson. It was never close, and this is exactly what we expected to happen here. 
Yeah, except it was 7-7 seven to seven going into the fourth quarter. Clemson looked Wait, like a what? team coming off of a big win. It was one of those classic uh, sandwich look-ahead games <laughs> things where you came off of a big win and then you have a big game coming up and then you got to, like, play BC. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, first of all, Clemson almost covered. So I wish almost won me money. Because Same. I took Clemson minus thirty three and a half. I couldn't believe I did it. I felt horrible pulling the trigger on that. But then it was weird because I'm watching this game in the fourth quarter, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, I have no reason to really think this because Clemson's played horrible, and I don't think Clemson's going to get upset. But at the same time, like, I do think there's a chance Clemson could still cover this thing going into the fourth quarter with it being seven to seven. Uh, weird that I thought that Kelly Bryant had a bad game. He threw two two pretty bad interceptions, 140 yards passing. Uh, that dude Etienne that we still can't really pronounce his name right. Maybe I just pronounced it correctly and don't even know it. 113 <laughs> yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Kelly Bryant did have two touchdown runs, which was good because he couldn't throw the football there. Um, any major concerns here for Clemson heading into the Virginia Tech game? Do you think this is just a look-ahead? I'm more inclined to think this is a look-ahead type thing where it's like, oh, my God, we're playing BC. I don't want to play them this week, um, that sort of thing. I mean, I, I don't really have any concerns about Clemson at this point. Do you? No, no. I mean, I feel like this is one of those where Boston College's eyes probably got real big the same way that, like, a corner seeing a pass coming his way does. I mean – Clemson not only coming off a big win against Louisville, but the week before that, a big win against Auburn. Next week, going to Blacksburg, getting college game day treatment, all that, playing Virginia Tech, uh, probably their second biggest game remaining on the schedule. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think this one, you probably came out a little bit sleepwalking. This is one of those games, Mike, that I was watching other games and kind of monitoring the score on the bottom line of ESPN and, and just seeing, oh, yeah, it's you know it's 7-7, that's fine. And then look down, and it's like, oh, it's the third quarter, and it's still 7-7. You know, what's going on? And then finally, you know, the, the whole thing kicks into gear uh, in the fourth quarter, and Clemson runs away with it. Uh, they scored touchdowns uh, on, I believe, uh, f- what, four of their last five drives or something like that. Uh, and they had 222 out of uh, about 482 total yards all in the fourth quarter. So Clemson finally kicked it into gear when they had to. Um I don't think there's any reason to worry about this. I think this was easily, you know, if you, you're looking at a four-game stretch of Auburn, Louisville, Boston College, and Virginia Tech, like one of these things is not like the other at this point. Um, just Good game to play down to. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and an opponent that is not really in position to take advantage of a team that's going to play down to them. Um, so I think Clemson's safe here. I think this is fine. Um, not a, really a huge deal. If I'm a Clemson fan, I'm not, I'm not worried about it at all. On to the next one. On to the next one. Same for us, Mike. Uh, number two, Clemson 34, Boston College 7. Uh, the next one for us, Mike, is a suspiciously close ACC game. Uh, number 25, LSU 35, Syracuse 26. Uh, this was a little uncomfortable for LSU fans. Uh, my father-in-law, LSU's having issues. Yeah, my father-in-law is an LSU grad and was at this game, and uh, he, he came back. We had dinner with him on Sunday night. And uh, he was not really a fan of how LSU played, and a lot of fans have not been a fan. Uh, your boy Matt Canada put up a, a, a whopping 414 yards of offense on that vaunted Syracuse defense. Um, for a talent differential like that, probably not great. Uh, Syracuse hung around, uh, and they covered. And there was a point late in the fourth where uh, this was a 28-26 game. Uh, Syracuse scores a touchdown with about 
six minutes left, less than six minutes. Uh, and so they made it a two-point game, and then LSU you know, pretty quickly pulls ahead and, and wins by nine. But overall, I mean, you didn't really have big expectations for Syracuse here. They were a 23.5-point underdog, and they kept it to nine. Uh, kind of put a scare in LSU a little bit. Realistically, they probably weren't ever going to win this game to begin with, but strong day for the Orange. I mean, you, you take this kind of performance in a tough place to play like LSU. I texted you what was it Thursday or Friday and I said hey do you want the good news or the bad news and I gave you the good news that I got in on Syracuse what was it plus 11 and a half and then I gave you the bad news is that Darius Geis was all of a sudden going from out to playing for LSU uh it didn't end up mattering because Geis only had eight carries for 14 yards he did get in the end zone uh but he was not himself clearly and the carries went elsewhere in the backfield for LSU but uh, the reason why I bring that up is that, A, I covered it. It was one of my few covers of the weekend. But, B, LSU really doesn't have any offense if Darius Geis isn't running the football well because Zach Etling, you know, or Danny Etling, I'm sorry, can't really throw the football. Uh, 188 yards, two touchdowns. Um, he's really struggled this year, maybe more than we expected him to at LSU. But on the Syracuse side, because they were able to slow down the run, and defend the pass it just hasn't really been good for LSU all season they were able to hang around this football game Eric Dungy threw the ball 53 times we know he's going to sling it around a lot but you know maybe they threw the ball a little bit more than they wanted to against this LSU defense I think establishing a run in the long term and the short term for Syracuse is the right thing to do Um, but they've really struggled to do that and 27 carries for 76 yards on the ground it's not going to get the job done Granted, it is a very good LSU defense, a very good front seven. But when you can't establish a run, you're going to have a hard time throwing the football. And only five yards per completion for Eric Dungy, pretty average day, um, you know, on his part. But for Syracuse to hang around, I think, is really encouraging for them. But for LSU, uh, you know, it's another game where you're just kind of eking by, doing what you can. And this margin was a little bit closer than I think a lot of their fans would have liked, especially with Ed Orgeron as head coach, which a lot of rumblings about his job security already, which is crazy. But, you know, given the given the issues they're having on offense, even with Matt Canada as a coordinator, it is a little bit troubling at this stage that you can't really blow out Syracuse at home. So uh, good for LSU for getting the win. Uh, good for Syracuse for hanging around. Really good look for the ACC to, you know, be right in it in this game and and being in the mix to even maybe potentially pull off an upset but if Syracuse can't run the football I I think they're going to have a lot of trouble getting to six wins which is what I think a lot of us were hoping for for the Orange here in year two under Geno Babers. Mike can I give you a quick uh, ACC player of the year update? That you can. Because Eric Dungy was over 60% passing for 265 a touchdown and a pick and had 24 yards on the ground for another touchdown that against the vaunted LSU defense. Eric Dungy for ACC Player of the Year. That was a good performance from him. I liked it. Hype fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, valiant effort for uh, Syracuse here, but ultimately uh, not, not enough to get it done, but didn't really have to be against LSU. So uh, Syracuse coming up. We're going to talk about their game this week. Uh, they are on the road at NC State. Careful, Wolfpack. That's a bit of a, a bit of a letdown spot there for you. So careful. Uh, let's move on, Mike. So that was again number twenty-five, LSU thirty-five, Syracuse twenty-six. Uh, moving on to a a bit of a, a, a 
let's see. Game brought to you by, what, Heart Medicine? Is that fair? Uh, Something like that. Wake Forest 20, App State 19. The Steam and Deeks uh, played a really tight game here against App State and win the game on a blocked field goal as time expired. Uh, App State fans had flashbacks about that one. Um, This was a a weird game for Wake Forest, Mike. Uh, They scored on a few, like what, four possessions? They had four possessions that ended in uh, two touchdowns and two field goals. And they did not have a first down the entire rest of the game outside of those four possessions. Um, Super weird performance in that offense. Uh, Not a great day for John Walford. Uh, 14-27 for 176. Did have two touchdowns and a pick. Also had 13 carries for 77 yards. So he he did all right running the offense. But uh, ultimately a lot of that damage done in a very small window this game. Um, I don't don't know what to think here, but, uh, you know, could have been better for Wake Forest, needless to say. Yeah, I mean, App State quarterback Taylor Lamb, uh, pretty solid performance, 372 yards through the air against this Wake Forest defense. Only had two touchdown passes, though. So Wake Forest defense, I thought, did a good job. Ben, but don't break. And look, they block an extra point. They block a field goal. That ends up being the decisive margin, right? It's a, it's a one-point game. You know, good for Wake Forest because now they're four and zero. I think you nailed it with the John Wolford game. It was kind of a so-so performance for him, but you know he was really their entire offense. So they needed him to produce and put forth what he did, or else they were going to be in a world of trouble. Because outside of Wolford, really they didn't have much going on on the offensive side of the football on Saturday. So good for Wake Forest. They're four and zero. They got a brutal stretch coming up where they might not win for a month. So congratulations on a great month of September for Wake Forest because they're probably now not going to win until late October, early November. So it's really tough schedule coming up. Good to have four wins under your belt here in September. They've positioned themselves well for a bowl game, despite their schedule that they have coming up, because there are a few winnable games at the end of the year for the Demon Deacons to get them to those six wins and get them to another bowl game, which really, I mean, if you're Dave Clawson, incremental steps forward is what you want, and Wake Forest is making those, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I thought they did a lot of good things on Saturday, despite giving up a bunch of yards. Yeah, we've talked about the rough stretch that Wake Forest has coming up. Five games, home against Florida State, at Clemson, at Georgia Tech after a bye week, home against Louisville, at Notre Dame. Uh, That is a a bit of a murderer's row right now if you're Wake Forest. But, Mike, that Notre Dame game that ends this whole stretch is on Saturday, November 4th. If you and I log on and uh, and record the recap episode on Sunday, November 5th, and we are talking about Wake Forest that has somehow gone 1-4 during that stretch, not necessarily against Notre Dame, but they have beaten one of those teams, would that shock you? Uh, yeah, it would. I actually think Notre Dame might be the most winnable game there, to be honest with you. Like, on the Notre road? Dame, on the road. Like, the reason why I say that is because Notre Dame's had a history now in the last couple of years of, like, playing down to opponents. Um, and because of that, I, you know, this is a tough spot for the Irish. I think it's safe to say a month out. I mean, this is a good Notre Dame football team this year. I believe that. They played well against Georgia. Georgia with a huge win against Mississippi State this weekend. Um... You know, that's the only loss for Notre Dame this year. They just blew out Michigan State. This is a much better football team. But I think if you had to pick one game in there that could potentially be an upset situation there for Wake Forest, you go into Notre Dame, expectations are low. 
in all likelihood you've lost the previous four games. You're sitting at four and four. You desperately need a win. That might be a spot for Wake Forest to pick one up where nobody's really expecting them to. But I, I think the likelihood of them winning a single game in this upcoming five-game stretch is extremely, extremely low. As a Georgia Tech fan, Mike, I naturally gravitate towards that uh, Georgia Tech game after yeah, a bye week. You're always you're always low on your Yellow Jackets. I'm trying to bring you back out of that, especially since they helped me out with that cover this weekend. So I'm pr- I'm pretty high on Georgia Tech right now, Joey. So high that I put Duke ahead of them in my <laughs> ACC Coastal Power Rankings about five minutes ago. Proud of you, Mike. I know nothing good ever happens to my teams. It's fine. We'll we'll get there. Yeah. Um, that's Close call for Wake Forest here. They escape with the win. That's what what matters here. They are still on pace for bowl eligibility. If uh, if they can win two more the rest of the season, which is not a totally unfathomable thing, so we will uh, we'll keep you updated on how this murderer's row stretch goes. Moving on, number fourteen, Miami fifty-two, Toledo thirty. Uh, this kind of looked like a blowout. It was for a while, and then it wasn't, and then it was. Uh, Miami was well ahead, well in control of this game for a lot of it. And then Toledo came back at one point in the fourth quarter. It was uh, uh, 38 to 30. Um, Toledo, by the way, had a 13 to 10 halftime lead. Uh, wasn't great. But then Miami scores touchdowns on six of their last seven drives. Uh, they were dominant. Mark Walton, 11 carries for 204 yards and a touchdown. And that was on a bad wheel. So uh, a pretty good day for him. Um I don't know what to think about Miami, Mike. This is only their second game. We talked a little bit before this is that this is their first game in three weeks. Their first game was against Bethune-Cookman. Um, now they go on the road to play Duke. What what do we know about this Miami team? What is this team? Like, what what do we think about this? Uh, I don't think we know yet. Uh, but, you know, two slow starts. Granted, Bethune-Cookman was the opener, and this was essentially like a second opener much similar to the Florida State game we discussed earlier. I mean, when you don't play a game in three weeks, it's pretty tough to get into a rhythm. Miami was cl- clearly out of a rhythm early in this football game. I think that was pretty apparent. Logan Woodside for Toledo, another really nice game, 342 yards, three touchdowns. Miami had their issues in the secondary, trying to defend Toledo's talented receivers and Woodside, who's a very good quarterback. Um, uh, Toledo's not a bad team, no scrub right but Miami's got more athletes across the board and they showed that in the second half they made those halftime adjustments you mentioned Mark Walton's numbers with a bad wheel Um, out sign me up for a bad wheel any day 11 carries over 200 yards Uh, you'll take that if you're a Miami fan so I I guess if you're a Hurricanes fan you're encouraged that you're 2-0 you know good to get back on the field if you're a Miami player Uh, you know and that coaching staff good to kind of put everything about the hurricane kind of behind you and, you know, continue to rebuild down there and and get back to football and and focusing on football and, you know, giving the fans something to kind of take their minds off of, you know, all the rebuild that's going on down there. So all good things, right? Good to see Miami back on the field. It's a good win for them. This is a good Toledo football team. You know, Miami struggled with them early. They pulled away in the second half. They did what they were supposed to do, scoring on six of their last seven possessions. As for what Miami is as a team, um, they're more talented than Toledo across the board. I think that's really all you can say so far is that, you know, they've won the skill position battle in their first two games. They've had more talent across the board at the skill positions than their opponents. And that's really what it boils down to with 2-0 and Miami that's, you know, got a you know a couple games short of everybody else, and we're trying to really figure out what they are. But, you know, we'll start to learn a lot more here in the coming weeks. 
it was a pretty solid, strong performance from a Miami offense against a pretty bad Toledo defense. Uh, not the best performance for the Miami defense, giving up 425 yards in over 35 minutes of possession to what is a pretty good Toledo offense. So, I, you know, again, I don't totally know what to make of that. Um, two games in, it's hard to say what Miami is necessarily. You know, are they this power? Or more importantly, Mike, are they back? Are they back? Um, the back of O-meter is, is still calibrating a little bit right now. But, um, you know, we're going to find out more here real quick. Uh, next three games at Duke, at Florida State, and home against Georgia Tech. Um, so we're going to learn a lot about Miami here in the coming weeks for sure. Moving on. Number 16, Virginia Tech, your Hokies, Mike, 38, Old Dominion, nothing. Uh, Hokies pitching a shutout at Lane Stadium so far this year. Uh, Bud Foster's defense right in line with what you expect. Uh, good performance overall, though, from Virginia Tech as we uh, await a much bigger matchup next weekend. Yeah, granted, the shutouts have come against Delaware and ODU at home. Uh, but, hey, defense is performing well. You're doing what you're supposed to do against the bad teams, and they did that again on Saturday. They overcame another slow start. They had a special teams blunder with a you know a chip shot missed field goal by Joey Sly. He's been a little bit inconsistent so far, so can't have him be inconsistent against the better teams, especially a team like Clemson coming up here this Saturday. Uh, if you're a Tech fan, I mean you're happy. Your team's four and zero at number thirteen in the country. I I'm not really sure what to think of that ranking when a, this is talking from me as an alum and also somebody who watches these things closely. When you struggle out of the gates against Delaware and East Carolina and ODU, you know, you kind of take the final score out of consideration. You know, you know that your team is a lot better than your opponent, but you want to see your team kind of come out and play well start to finish, and Virginia Tech hasn't really done that yet this year. They, they came out slow against West Virginia as well. You know, that's the best win on their schedule. They've given up the most yards to West Virginia, a very explosive offense, but you know, what to make of this team? I don't know. We'll find out a lot about the Hokies this Saturday against Clemson. I'm not sure what they are yet. I, I think they're talented. I think they're still a couple of years away from being super, super good. I think we're still kind of in the middle of a rebuild here. I think fans are, are really excited because Virginia Tech's 4-0 and and they're hosting number two Clemson, but there's a significant talent gap. I, I want people to understand this. There's a significant talent gap between Clemson and Virginia Tech, and we'll get into that when we when we start talking about the preview here later this week. There's a big-time talent gap right now, and there are two programs at completely different stages. Um, you know, Clemson is at a compete win-now stage. Virginia Tech is still at a rebuild. Granted, it's a rebuild ahead of schedule, but I think fan, the expectations of the fans are a little bit out of whack. I think they got to come back down to earth a little bit. Three out of the four wins so far for Virginia Tech have come against teams that have not been very good. We'll learn a lot about what the Hokies have here this Saturday against Clemson. If they're competitive against the Tigers on national TV at home, forget upset. Just be competitive. Be within a score or two because Clemson's one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country right now. So good win for Virginia Tech. Shout out to Steven Peoples. Three touchdowns from the running back position. Good to see him get on track. Fans have been waiting for that all season. Took him till the fourth game. He looked really, really good on Saturday. Looked healthy. He got hurt against West Virginia. Struggled with his uh, some injury issues over the past couple of weeks. Looked really, really good in this win for Virginia Tech. Pretty dominant performance. Uh, quickly, Mike, number 19, Louisville 42, Kent State 3. Not a whole lot to talk about here. This was a blowout, as we all expected. It was 28-3 at halftime. Um, not all that close. Lamar Jackson, 18-22 passing for 299, two touchdowns. Now, 
He had four incompletions. Problem is two of them were caught by the other team. So he had two picks to go with two other fumbles on the team, including one of his. Uh, Louisville turning the ball over a lot against a an unimpressive Kent State defense. Um, so that's still cause for concern. But overall, Louisville just waltzes through this game pretty easily. Uh, three touchdowns on the game for Lamar Jackson, two through the air and one on the ground. And more importantly, that gives him the school uh, career record for touchdowns responsible for uh, he passes, I believe, Chris Redman, if I'm not mistaken, uh, quarterback from early 2000s. So uh, congrats to you, Lamar Jackson. And, uh, again, Louisville 42-3 to winners over Kent State. They do not cover 43.5. Kent State does, and I got that pick right last week. Uh, one of not very many. We'll get that in just a second. Uh, Mike, we got a Go ACC moment of the week, and we referred to this earlier. This comes from the Duke-North Carolina game uh, late in the fourth quarter, about four minutes left. Uh, North Carolina down three, got two timeouts, third and 12 around midfield. And then this happened. Back out to the left. There's a snap. Here comes pressure. He's in trouble. Throws it up for grabs. It's intercepted. Brian Fields to the 45. Cuts outside to the 30. There goes Fields down the sideline. Touchdown. A pick six for the senior. Yeah, so not pretty. Uh, pick six for Chaz Surratt on a, a third and 12 where he was getting rushed. And I think that's the thing here, Mike, is not even what happened, but just how it happened. Um, man, that was a bad time to have a freshman moment for Chaz Surratt. Yeah, pretty poor time to throw an interception if you're Chaz Surratt. Um, North Carolina driving down, trying to win the football game, and you know you throw a bad pick. Um, not a greatest moments there for Surratt. Freshman moment for sure. North Carolina had plenty of time to drive down the field after that Duke touchdown. They had about six minutes and change left. Um, just a really bad interception and put the Tar Heels in a bad spot down 10, um, you know, driving down to try to, to try to win the game there prior to that interception. Just a really ugly throw by Surratt. Not really sure what he was trying to accomplish there, but, you know, he'll pick up the pieces and try to learn from it. I, yeah. I mean, not only – so he's got the pass rush kind of bearing down on him. He's, he's got to get rid of the ball kind of thing. And he, he jumps and clear off the ground and throws the pass double-handed overhand, for those who haven't seen it. He literally is throwing it like a soccer inbounds pass, but without feet on the ground. It, it's Man, you, you got to have poise better than that if you're playing Power 5-level football as a quarterback, even as a freshman. So, a uh, bit of a weird moment for Chester at UNC. That cost them the game, ultimately. So, a big old go ACC to that. Uh, Mike, we also have a Brian Van Gorder You Tried Award, and uh, we're not going to let this one go very far. Yeah, we tried to pick these games, Joey, but it didn't exactly work out. Um, Virginia upsets Boise State. NC State upsets Florida State, which, you know, we thought these games would be a little bit closer than most thought, but not a great weekend for us against the spread. What were we, like 11-9? and nine? I mean, we hit on 55% of our bets, but, you know, compared to weeks prior, not the greatest of showings on our part. Yeah, that's not great. Last week we were thirteen three and two. So <laughs> yeah, but I'd say the NC State Florida State game and that UVA Boise State game were the two that killed us ultimately. Yeah, those games in particular, man. Th- those were the two that really just stuck out in my mind as bad, bad misses for both of us. Um, yeah, I mean, we tried. We we think we know what's going on in the ACC, and then you know, then the ACC happens. So you never know. So we'll try to do better next week. Um, yeah, it was a pretty eventful week in the ACC. Uh, a couple of big upsets, you know, for, for better or worse for ACC teams. Um, 
starting to learn a little bit about some teams on the large scale, but still kind of a weird time with Florida State and Miami only having played two games apiece. Um, Georgia Tech now playing three games, is, is still trying to recover from some of these uh, hurricane after effects. Uh, we got a huge Week 5 slate uh, coming up next week. Again, we said the college game day game uh, is 8 o'clock on ABC in Blacksburg, Clemson heading to Virginia Tech. So going to be a big week in the ACC, so tune in for that. Um, in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, you could also send us an email with questions, comments, concerns, whatever you want uh, to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, you could also find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, on the Overcast app. You should go subscribe and rate and review things. I've got my coworkers subscribing, Mike. They keep asking me about a podcast, and I keep telling them where to go. So, yeah, hit that app on your phone, either either Android or Apple devices, all good. Uh, Mike, where can they find us on the social medias? You can find us on Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference. Rate, review, and find all of our podcasts there, including this one. Hell yeah. Go find us there. Uh, we are having a good time interacting with you guys. Uh, the DMs are open on Facebook. Send us you know, send us some DMs. Slide up in there. Uh, do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Come find us anywhere. Again, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. I'm sure you're on Snapchat, right, Mike? Oh, yeah, like all the millennials. Yeah, we're on, we're on the Snapchats, so come find us there, too. Uh, anyways, Mike, this has been fun. You want to come back and uh, preview Week 5 here soon? Absolutely, buddy. Yeah, let's do it. All right, well, until then, hope you guys have enjoyed uh, Week 4 in the ACC. Going to be a big slate next weekend, so we will talk about it then. But until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. Talk to you later. Go ACC. Go ACC.